Good afternoon. Can everybody hear me? Uh, hopefully we're doing this right. Ah, oh, it's so good to be with you today. It's a very, I'm very tired today, but it's good to be with you. As always, you have come to the Anchored in Hope podcast, and the Anchored in Hope, I uh, come together with you every week, and we talk about why Jesus is our anchor, and we're anchored in Jesus. So the, we are just, you know, we have a new logo coming out, and I have a big word, it's called, it says hope, and then in that word is Jesus a thousand times, and an anchor coming down and anchoring itself into the word hope, which is Jesus. And so that's why we're here. More than ever, I think we are in such need of hope and light that pierces all the darkness. So as always, the first thing we should be doing is praying. So let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, truly present in the most blessed sacrament, and yet truly present in the, in, the, in the heart of every believer. Help us, Jesus, to focus on you, to find our hope in you, to know that you are the answer to every question that we have, that you who are God have done and can do great things in our lives, and that if we focus on you and not in the world, we'll stay and be people of hope that bring people hope. We beg you, Jesus, to send your spirit upon us, to lead us and to guide us, that we may know you and live for you and you alone. We beg you these things, Lord Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, welcome to everybody who's live with us. Uh, again, it always starts out low. We only have 35 people and slowly moving it up. So those of you who are live can sit there and ask questions via the comment um, part of the YouTube video there, and I'll answer as many of those I can get to. We also have questions that have come over uh, the Internet and emailed and that, and so we'll get to as many of those also as we can. Again, the, the time of us being here now is just uh, to answer the questions that you come up with. This week I'm here. Next week I am going to be, for those of you in Nebraska, I'm going to be in Omaha, no, 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 Fremont, Nebraska, which is northwest, I believe, of Omaha. I'm flying in and out of Omaha. But that'll be at St. Patrick's Church in Fremont, Nebraska. And that's next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. We start every night at 7 p.m. And it's a two-hour talk. The first night we focus on how to come to know Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, how to experience God. And I teach everybody there that night how to pray, and I'll take them through a prayer experience. I just don't say, oh, this is what you do. I'll actually take you through that experience so you can have a deep experience of God. Because as I've said many times, I, don't, I think a lot of people have never had that experience, and you need to have that. Again, who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? He made me to know him. So uh, you need to have an experiential knowledge of God, not just a, a knowledge of a creed. The devil knows the creed intimately. 
He knows all about it. It doesn't mean he's in this relationship with God. And so that's why the first night to me is the most important night of the mission where we get in to teach people how to pray. The second night of the mission, we focus on family and we focus on the mass. So each night I try to give people a different experience. So the first night is the prayer experience. The second night is the mass and the family. We talk about the importance of mass and the reality that every mass costs Jesus Christ his very life. And every mass that doesn't cost us our life is an insult to God. So how important the mass is, what's happening at mass, but also it's at the mass where Jesus tells us all people know you're my disciples because you love each other. So love begins at home. And I talk about a lot of stuff. I always say that's the night of healing and intimacy for families to really bring families together and to bring healing in those families and not just the, the, your own personal family, but the family of God, the church, excuse me. The third night, we focus on the passion of Christ, and that night we have confessions. And on average, when I do a parish mission, the average is about 35 years since someone's went to confession because my main thing at a mission isn't so much with the daily mass people. Of course, they come and the Lord touches them by great uh, reality. But my job is to bring people home, you know, so if they've been away from the church, away from the sacraments for a long time. And you'd be surprised how many people go to church every Sunday but haven't been to confession in 50 years years or 40 years or 30 years I deal with it every time I do a mission so that's the uh, Thursday night and then the last night is the night of healing and so we focus on uh, we bring out Jesus in the monstrance and we spend two hours worshiping him and at the same time we focus on the need in our own heart for healing and we anoint everybody that night with St. Joseph's oil from Montreal Canada uh and great miracles. That's the night of great miracles. So if you're in the area of Omaha, and it means in Iowa, across the, across the river there, uh, come. Uh, and we'll have a fine time. Uh, again, that's in St. Patrick's Church in Fremont, Nebraska, right outside of Omaha. Okay, so hope to see you there. Again, I want to encourage everybody, uh, if you're coming into the area, October the first week of October, weekend of October, is our Oktoberfest, and it's a great time. The first, second, and third, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have great food, great drink, great uh, fellowship, just time together. Again, you can also help us out by getting a, a ticket. We have a, uh, a uh, Porsche that we raffle off this year. Every year, it's a German car, so this is our our uh, biggest German car ever. It's either the Porsche, which is worth $77,000 or $50,000 cash, whatever you like. Uh, but you can get uh, order tickets right online at uh, stjoesbol.org. That's stjoesbol.org. And you can help out our parish, which is an inner city parish, about 400 families. And we really need uh, everyone's help if you would be willing to help. Okay. So let's start right in and go with our questions. We have all these people that are saying good afternoon. It's so good to have you here. So uh, what does bless the Lord mean? Ah, isn't that the greatest thing? It's just the way that we praise God. We bless his holy name. And like when we say the Lord's prayer, we say, hallowed be thy name. And like even when we say that, it's the same thing almost as saying uh, bless the Lord. We're but we're saying, God, your name is holy, but not there, not but in a bad sense, but but in a good sense. I want to help make your name holy by the way I live. 
So again, when people look at us, they can either curse God because of us or they can bless God because of us. And I always say it's better if they bless God because of us instead of curse God because of us. So it's a way just to praise God, to worship God, to lift him up, to say he is holy, he is blessed, he is uh, good even when things aren't going well with us. God is good all the time. And so, but we need to help uh, make that more real because people today, like we were just talking earlier today with RCIA, people about uh, whether we swear, use God's holy name. Again, uh, swearing is one thing, but using God's holy name, which people do constantly, cries out to God. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you said God's holy name once, they would stone you to death. Huh? And so we can curse God's name and we can use his name in vain, or we can truly praise God and bless him. I just think every day part of our prayer needs to be part of blessing God and praising God and honoring God instead of just gimme, gimme, gimme. Yesterday we celebrated the birthday of the Blessed Mother. So I talked about how important it is that we all use Mary. Mary, I need something. I'm going to say a rosary so I can get something. We all use her. But we just need to love her too. And it's the same with God. Like sometimes in my own prayer when I'm, you know, asking God for this and this and help me and give me strength and give me direction, I just have to remember to stop and say, God, I just thank you for everything you do for me and everything you have done for me and everything you will do for me. And even if uh, you're not doing anything for me right now, which is not possible, uh, I still want to just praise you for who you are. And so... I just think that's part of one of the most important things we do is praise God and bless God. Um, it just focuses on him and not on ourselves and how important that is to focus on God and not on ourselves, especially during prayer. Okay, let's take an email question. And I'm sorry, uh, well, this came in in August, so not too long ago. Uh, I enjoy your podcast. Thank you. This is from Lucy. I need you to tell me the obvious I think a priest told me in confession that it was not a sin for a postmenopausal woman to have sex with her committed boyfriend. That seems incorrect to me. <laughs> yeah, you are correct. It is an incorrect thing. I don't know what that priest was thinking. Uh, the word of God applies to everybody. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 to 7, make no mistake about it, no fornicator, no unclean or lustful person, in effect an idolater or of any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with worthless arguments. These are sins that bring down God's wrath on the disobedient, therefore have nothing to do with them. Now, some of the newer translation says no immoral person. Well, what is an immoral person? It was easier when it was just translated a fornicator. A fornicator is someone who has sex outside of marriage. Now, you can be 17 and do that, 18 and do that, or 70 and do that. You cannot have any kind of sex, none, zilch. You can kiss until you're married. Huh? Now, kids used to ask me all the time when I taught boys, Father, yes, how far can I go before it's a sin? meaning how far can I go sexually before it becomes sinful? And my answer was then and still is always the same. Nothing below the neck. What? Exactly correct. You can kiss. 
Can I kiss her hand? As long as you put it above her neck, I don't care. But nothing below the neck. Now, again, one of my boys once asked me, true statement, after I said, nothing below the neck, either neck, the kid raised his hand. I go, yes, what? He says, can I turn her upside down? Oh, my gosh. You see what I got to put up with? No, you can't turn her upside down. No, nothing below the neck. Now, that's the same if you're, if you're not married to someone, you can kiss them. You cannot do anything else. Anything else would be sinful that needs to be confessed. So if you are postmenopausal and you are in a committed relationship, you cannot in any way, shape, or form, none, zilch, come anyway, have sex before marriage, period. And again, that means if you're 80 and you're dating someone, you're both 80, well, you can't do anything. Unless you're married, you can't do anything below the neck, either neck. So I don't know if I was clear enough, so I want to make sure that everybody understands and knows that clearly. Because, uh, again, sometimes it says, well, that's for people who are young, not for me as I get older or I'm divorced. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. You cannot have any kind of sexual relationships with anybody unless you are married to them. Uh, according to the teaching of the church. So I don't know where that priest was from or what he was saying, but uh, objectively he was wrong. I'm not going to make, like, if you ever notice, I never talk against any priest here. I never use their name. I never talk against any kind of uh, people that don't agree with me or hate me. And I just way beyond that kind of stuff. But again, because it can be the sin of detraction. So, uh, but I can say objectively what's right and what's wrong. I need a drink of coffee. Like I said, I was tired. Please excuse me for a half second. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay. Now let's go back to the stuff here. David George, are you still a pagan? Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible to say. Okay. How does the church deal with the differences of opinions between priests, especially if they're working in the same parish? Well, again, uh, me and my assistant have differing opinions, um, and he's a great guy, very orthodox. Again, I was saying I had a funeral today, and I was with the funeral director, and we're driving to the uh, uh, funeral, the, the, the cemetery, and we were talking about just this. Again, I've been ordained 32 years, is all you know by now. And uh, I used to be considered the most conservative priest in the diocese. I just was. I was on EWTN. Are you kidding me? Um, but now these younger guys think I'm like this liberal or something. And I, 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 just, I just don't get it. You know, if, um, if I was not committed to our Lord Jesus and the Eucharist and holy hour every day and um, not committed to our Blessed Mother and not committed to Joseph and not committed to the Holy Father and not committed to all. I could see people saying these things, but I am faithful and uh, I'm just more pastoral now. I just think, so sometimes we have two different uh, opinions on things and that's okay. It's okay to have different opinions. Of course, we're not all called to be the same, but we should not have any difference when it comes to the teaching of the church period. That's why I always say, well, there are things we can have different opinions on. I get it. But when it comes to teaching of the faith, like if the catechism says it, well, it's done, period. Okay, the catechism says it, that's the official teaching of the church or Vatican II or the magisterium. The problem is some people will pick out something from however many years ago and say, well, this is what it means today. And again, I can do the same thing. I mean, I've read all these documents. I've been doing all this stuff a long time. 
A lot of these guys who look at me now, the, again, they're not. I've been ordained priests longer than they've been alive, and they just kind of look at me and whom, and and that hurts me. It really does. It really like uh, it's a knife in my heart, thinking I have been a faithful, good priest um, all these years, and people just get ordained and they think they know more everything. They're not. They can't learn anything from me or do anything. It's just come on, and I'm just thinking, really, because uh, I know I can still learn a lot. Uh, even from the younger priests, because they know a heck of a lot more in me in some ways. But we always got to sit there and think that together we can learn uh, and not argue. So, but if people in your parish, priests are talking different things, and hopefully that's not from the pulpit. I mean, again, like me and my assistant, we would say the exact same stuff from the pulpit, I would imagine. Because uh, again, he's very orthodox. I'm very orthodox. So uh, in small matters, we can disagree. But if something's coming from the pulpit, like uh, someone says, don't listen to the Pope, and the other priest says, listen to the Pope. Well, what does the magisterium of the church say? You must listen to the Pope. So I always, like, when I used to have kids that would go off to college, I'd say, if they hear something that they don't think is something I taught them, raise your hand and say, can you show me where that is in the catechism of the church? And if they say, uh, or first I used to say the Bible, and if they'd say, oh, it's not in the Bible, okay, we're not just a church just of the Bible, but it can't go against the Bible. But where is it in the catechism? Because that is the official teaching of the church. And if it's in neither of those things, then opinions aren't that important. They just aren't. They're not going to save us. So always try to figure out, well, what is the official teaching? What does the catechism say? So that's why it's important for all of you to have a catechism and to look up things if you, you know, if different priests are saying different things. Um, because some people, like I was, I was on something the other day and there was a priest who's always, you know, people answer, ask him questions all the time. And so they ask if we could say the breviary on our phone and he says no you cannot you must say the breviary with your the book it's a holier thing well that's complete garbage and that's 100 percent his opinion 1000 percent his opinion so i can have a different opinion there is no official teaching that you must use the book when you're saying the breviary i use my this is i take the breviary with me everywhere and i say my full breviary every day never miss any of it ever, ever, ever. So when people come off with that kind of stuff, I just go, really? So you're the Pope now, but you won't listen to the Pope because, you know, you demand him to uh, apologize to you because he said something you don't like. Well, again, so everybody can have opinions, opinions we're all going to be different on. But when it comes to orthodoxy, when it comes to the teaching of the church, we all need to be focused on the same thing. And that's what the teaching of the church is, not what my opinion is. So hopefully that helps because, again, we do hear different things sometimes from the pulpit. Um, yes, and again, as a pastor, I'd never let anyone speak from my pulpit where I'm the pastor of anything other than the orthodoxy of the church. Like even when it comes to religious ed at my parish, if somebody, if a religious ed teacher teaches something unorthodox, they're going to get called on that. You know, so because the job of the church isn't to point forth our opinion. It's to point forth the gospel of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And 
that's what we got to be doing. And that's what I got to be doing. Now, I have my own opinions, as if you all don't know already. But I'll usually say this is my opinion unless I can say, you know. Uh, and again, sometimes, like, the biggest thing, like, now that my dog is dying of cancer, again, they always say, Father, do you believe dogs get to go to heaven? And what do you think I believe? Yes, they can go to heaven. Of course they can go to heaven. What do you think God is? He's the one who created my dog. And, if, uh, you know, the reality is that I want him with me forever. Uh, now, Father Mitch, who is the greatest man ever and does know everything on EWTN, I always say go listen to him because he really does know a heck of a lot more than me. He says, of course gods can't go to heaven. Of course they can't because of the scholastic, you know, Thomas Aquinas and all that stuff. I completely disagree. <laughs> and Pope Francis said they can go to heaven. Thank you very much. So I'm going to listen to the Pope in more ways than one. But when he said that, I was so excited. See, 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 the Pope says they can go to heaven. So again, we can have differences. And I just don't want, I think that we can have differences without hating each other. You know, we can uh, disagree and be okay with disagreeing, but we can't do that as official preachers of the church. Huh? So, but hopefully, again, that helps. Now, let's stay here for another one. And you pray for all your priests, huh? Please, so often we just judge our priests, and we have no idea what they're, what they're, uh, what's going on in their lives. And I just think sometimes we have to be um, compassionate towards our priests, too. Because I was just reading today, and it was a Protestant article, but how many uh, pastors are leaving ministry now? Because it's been a very hard time. And again, not in a hard time. I mean, people have died for the faith a lot worse than we're going through now, by far, any way, shape, or form. But again, just remember that you're, especially your pastors, they're your fathers. And like any father, they're a human being. And like any father, they need uh, compassion and help and support. I've had a lot of people been leaving my parish lately. It's been driving me insane um, for various reasons. And I just, uh, you know, I've been doing the same thing all these years, and I'm trying to always change about where God's calling us next. But almost every one of these people came and they joined us for a while. You know, so if you go and you're looking for places and you see you tip your toe in something, I like it, no, I don't like it, I like it, no, I don't like it. Well, you know, and I had one family call, well, well, we're still looking at others to sit to decide if we're going to stay here or not. You've already decided. It's time. If you're going to pick and choose, like, well, how are you going to, Father, How keep me here? What, you know, I'm, no. I'm going to teach you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach without compromise. Now, if you want to be here, then be here and stay here. You don't go and get a different uh, pastor every other day. You don't go to somewhere else where they're going to be, you know, like, uh, you know, I like this one better now. Well, you don't leave your family for other families. So like now I'm having more people come in. When they come in, I'm meeting with them and saying, listen, if you're going to stay here and you want to be a member here, you should stay here for life. That's what it is to be a member of a parish. Now, if they bring in another pastor, it's teaching on orthodoxy or teaching things, uh, teaching things that are not the teaching of the church, then okay, that's a good reason to leave because you need to be fed with orthodoxy. But if I, you know, I or any priest is teaching you the truth and you just whatever, you know, you don't feel like it this week, well, you can't be doing that. 
you know, you just can't be doing that. And that's, I'm at a pastor for 20 years. So again, it's just uh, try to always look at both sides, that when you commit your life to a parish, you commit yourself to a family. And you don't just sit there and say, okay, I'm, I'm done here. I've been here a year or two. That's enough. I'm going to somewhere else. Okay. Or if, you're, if things aren't going your way, you know, because that's part of the thing. As a pastor, what I say goes, I'll listen to people, but then I have to make the decisions. When I make the decision, the decision's made. So if people don't agree with it, they say, well, I'm leaving. That's why there's so many Protestant churches, right? Because you stay with a church, and as long as soon as you start disagreeing, then, you okay, we're going to go start our own church. That, that's not what we are as Catholics. But anyway, let's just... Uh, Pray for your pastors is what I'm saying and give them some support, huh? Because sometimes I can tell you as a pastor, I feel totally, totally alone that uh, I'm constantly, okay, trying to help and trying to do all this stuff and do this. But the support of just me as a person isn't there sometimes. And that's very hard. Trust me. But again, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> Sorry, we went off into, that's uh, afterwards here. Okay, so... Let's go here and back. Brian with a Y. My first time here. Welcome, Brian. It's good to have you. Father, have you considered putting a camera in your adoration chapel? Is that allowed? We go there anytime to see Jesus. Uh, we have thought about it, and we probably will do it. There are pl plenty of places in the world. All you have to do is put the live stream adoration, and you'll see that. We have a place for it. The, the only thing that's held me back from that is because we do have people there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I don't want them to feel like they're being watched. So we have to make sure it just stays on the monstrance and uh, nowhere else. So that would also keep, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we thought about it and probably it'll be do happening pretty soon. But it's a good thing, Brian. Good question. Thanks for asking it. That's Brian Mills that said that. Sorry. Okay. Let's see, if God is spirit, how are we made in his image and likeness? That's the greatest question ever. God is spirit, but how, who is God? God is love. So we are called to be incarnate love. And God is spirit until Jesus became incarnate, Right? So now when we say that God is spirit, the Father is spirit and the Spirit is spirit, but Jesus, who is God, the God-man, through the hypostatic union, 100% God and 100% man at the same time, God now is incarnate. And so the way we are created in God's image and likeness is we are created by love to be love in a world that doesn't know love. God is love. So, being created in his image, we are created to be love. Hmm? So, that's how we're created in the image and likeness of God. I hope that helps. Great question. Terry, how would you answer someone who says they don't go to confession because they pray and ask God's forgiveness by themselves? I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that question. And because all sin is communal, there is no such a thing as it's just me and Jesus. So uh, it was Jesus who said, breathed on them and said, those who sinned you forgive, they are forgiven. Those who sinned you hold bound or held bound. It says in James, confess your sins one to another that you may find healing. And 
in the early church, the only type of confession was never a private between you and God. It was always public, even uh, for baptism. Baptism in the beginning was all public, out in front of everybody, and it was a public repentance and a public uh, God uh, blessing you and transforming you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then they thought, first of all, uh, you, if you sinned, again, just to give you a little history of confession, you were only, the only forgiveness of sin was baptism. If you, forget, if you committed serious sin uh, after that, and the three serious sins in the early church was uh, murder, uh, adultery, and uh, apostasy. Those are the three big sins. Murder to kill somebody. Apostasy means to deny the faith. And adultery, we know what adultery is. Huh? Having sex with someone outside of marriage, breaking the marriage covenant. And so if you did one of those sins, you were thrown out of the church. And so especially after the persecutions, there was a lot of people who were apostates, meaning they were afraid so they denied the faith so they wouldn't be martyred. So then the early church says, okay, once in a lifetime you can get forgiven uh, after baptism. But baptism was the primary way. That's why in the early church many people waited until they were on their deathbed before they got baptized because they knew they couldn't commit, not commit mortal sin afterwards. So then he said once, and when it was the one time, if you did one of those three things, what you would have to do is you would come into the church on Sunday with the bishop there or the priest there. And you'd have to get up in front of everybody and you'd say, I committed adultery or I committed apostasy or I committed murder. And everybody would go, we knew it. Or they probably did know it. Churches were small in those days and everybody lived together. And then the bishop or priest would give you a penance and it was a public penance. And it would usually be like six months of hair church or something that I'd do a public penance. You were not allowed back into the church because your sin hurt the whole body of Christ. So you had to stand out in front of the church every Sunday and you would pray for people. You would, uh, the people who committed a sin would ask the people who are going to church to pray for them. So as people are walking in a church, you'd sit there with your hair shirt or whatever, your public penance, and you'd say, please pray for me, please pray for me, please pray for me. And that's where the, uh, the penitential rite came into the Mass. You know, it was brought into the Mass, but that's where it came to. It was outside of the Mass. It was from people uh, who had sinned, begging people when they were going to Mass to pray for them. And so then after your six months of public penance was given, then there would be a public absolution. So then you would be brought into church on uh, uh, usually Easter Vigil or other times, of course. And as you were brought into the church, it would be a, a absolution. The bishop or priest would give you absolution, and then it would be a party. Knowing that there's no such thing as a private uh, sin. Why? Because there's only one body of Christ. So the one body of Christ means if anyone sins, it hurts the whole body. Now, again, to use the analogy of the body, if I come up to you and I step on your toe and I, or I hit it with a hammer, your whole body hurts, right? I can't just go to your toe and say, I'm sorry, I got to go to the person. God is our leader. Jesus is the head of the body. So we can go to Jesus and he'll say, uh, okay, so I forgive you, but you have to ask everybody else for their forgiveness. And a priest represents not only Jesus the head, but the whole body. Like again, if you go a confession to me and you say, Father, I yelled at my wife. And I say, okay, I forgive you your sins, but you have to go apologize to your wife. What? 
can't I just go to you and you forgive me? Well, you didn't just hurt the whole body. You hurt your wife. You got to go ask forgiveness for your wife. <sighs> okay. Like even if you steal money, you have to make restitution. What does that mean? If you stole $1,000, you got to give $1,000 back. You just don't get forgiven for that. You got to make restitution and justice. So if you can't give it back to the person you took it from, you have to give it to the poor. And if you don't, can't do it all at the same time, you could do it in installments. But again, restitution is necessary. So the way we talk about justice and mercy and how God does that all on himself in his body is that all sin is uh, hurts our relationship with God, but it also hurts our relationship with each other. That's why the normal way of forgiveness is through a priest. Confess your sins one to another that you might find healing. The way the early church did it, I already told you, and so it's a necessary thing. It's not a me and Jesus thing. It's always an us thing. Always an us thing. Okay, thank you for the question. Hope that answered it. Okay, I already answered this question before. I don't know why that's still there. So we won't answer that one again. I can't answer that one publicly. And here is a question uh, people ask. I'm going to be more sensitive the way I uh, frame this than they did. Here is my question. If a senior citizen couple are separated by a nursing care or death, is the act of self-love a sin? And objectively, yes, it would always be a sin. And the best way I tell people to uh, confess it is, Father, I was impure with myself. And Father, understand what you mean by that. But yes, the main, uh, every act of sexuality must be open to two things, love and life. And so I can't go explicitly here because this is broadcast all over and kids watch it, so I won't go into great, great detail but it's just like everything, again, like I said, nothing below the neck. Married couples are, of course, allowed to do anything as, uh, that, is, uh, that doesn't, I don't say anything, I can't say anything. Um, as long as people are open to it, and as long as it's not degrading, and as long as it always leads to um, copulation, I guess that'll be the same. That's the, that's the way it has to end but it has to always be open to life. So anything outside of that would be objectively mortally sinful. But again, remember what a mortal sin is. It's serious matter, full knowledge, full consent of the will, and all three of those things must be present to commit a mortal sin. Okay? So I hope that helps. I can't answer it as explicitly as I normally would if I was at a men's conference or something, but as much as I can here. Okay? And I know I could go in greater detail, people. I can't do that here. Okay. Oh, Father Larry, although I feel that I'm at peace with my mother's passing, you encourage me to get to know her as she is now, alive and full of love and peace. I'm struggling with how to do this. The best place to do this, of course, is in prayer. Uh, again, just talk to her. You know, again, with, uh, when it comes to my father, who's been dead 35 years, when I'm missing him, when I'm talking, I'll just say, Dad, you know, I'll miss, I, I miss you, especially when I'm in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament because we're all present, people in heaven, on earth, when we're in the front of Jesus in the Eucharist. But again, I tell people when they're going to communion, it's even more of an intimacy because it's not just communion with Jesus, it's communion with everyone in Jesus. So next time you go to communion, um, Mary just ask God 
to allow you to also have an experience of intimacy with your mother who's on the other side and in Jesus. There's no way to do this apart from Jesus. We're all alive only in Jesus. So we're not talking about a, a, a necromy or democracy, whatever that is. I'm sorry, I'm not good with this stuff, as you know. Praying to the dead or talking to the dead or communicating with the dead. We're not talking about that. We're talking about intimacy with them in Jesus. Um, because it's his body and we're all members of it. So next time you go to communion at Mass, uh, ask Jesus to allow you also to have the knowledge of intimacy in him of your mother and give it some time and then God will do the rest, okay? So, Father, we are confused. Oh, the Eucharist, communion, blessed sacrament, consecrated host, are they all the same, the body of Christ? Absolutely, they are all the same. It's just different words that we call it. The Eucharist means Thanksgiving, but of course it's the, the real presence of Jesus. Communion, it's, the reason it's communion with Jesus, communion with the thing, blessed sacrament, it's all the same words. What are Eucharistic miracles? Eucharistic miracles are... Uh, every every Eucharist is a miracle, first of all. That's why some people say, Father, did you know about this host that was bleeding? And then I go, it doesn't matter. I received Jesus this morning, and it was a fantastic miracle ever that the God, the universe, cannot contain, humbled himself and fed me with his own precious body and blood. That's a miracle, the greatest miracle. But sometimes God has allowed miracles to happen, I always say, primarily for the unbelievers. And so, like, sometimes, like, some of the stories are, you can go throughout the world, just look it up, Eucharistic miracles, and you'll see, uh, like, a priest who is doubting the real presence, and all of a sudden, the, uh, the host became a piece of flesh, start bleeding in his hands, or, you know, it's interesting, every Eucharistic miracle, they all have the same type of blood. It's the same blood type, which is quite interesting. When you, uh, I just encourage you, those who don't know anything about Eucharistic miracles, just put in Google Eucharistic miracles, and you're going to find and see pictures of miracles from all over the world. And there's many different kinds, you know, in Luciana, Luciana in Italy, where it turns, uh, it's dry blood and all it liquefies every year. Uh, or when the popes come, it's some interesting things. But again, a Eucharistic miracle, so... Just encourage you to look that up. What is a monstrance? A monstrance is that which holds the Eucharist during adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So we have perpetual adoration. We just open it again. Again, if any of you are in Erie, Pennsylvania watching this, we still are in need of people to sign up and take hours. Uh, so I encourage you, please, 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 to take an hour uh, and sign up for an hour, which is very important. It's the only way we can keep it open. If we don't keep these hours, we just open it on Tuesday. We might have to close it again until we get people to uh, fill those hours. So I encourage you to do that. So the monstrance is the big gold container with a glass round thing in the middle, and we put Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament there so you can see Jesus. And so that's called adoration. You see Jesus explicitly, and the monstrance is that which contains it. Who provides communion to churches? A priest does, you know, every time a priest has mass, we uh, take the bread and we make it the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. We buy hosts from religious stores. Our host is just a piece of bread. It's just very simple uh, flour and water. It can't have anything else in it, according to the teaching of church. No leaven, no anything else, just bread and water or uh, wheat and water. And it usually put it in hosts and the priest uh, says uh, the words of consecration over it and it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God. 
And lastly, is the Eucharist kept in a monstrance and in a tabernacle. It's usually kept in the tabernacle, brought out of the tabernacle to put in a monstrance for, um, for adoration. You know, but it's usually blessed uh, both places. The tabernacle is the place, and you can always tell in a Catholic church, uh, it usually has the uh, candle, and it should have a uh, vigil candle right there in front of it to show that Christ is truly present there. Uh, sometimes some modern churches have the tabernacle in uh, chapels of reservation. Most of the older churches, like my church, we have it in the center, the very center of the church. Uh, it comes from Revelation. It, you know, day in, day out, they cry out, holy, 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 and he sits in the center of the church. So that's uh, why we have it in, the, in, the, in like my parish, the old style. Okay, hopefully that helps. A, a lot of good questions there. Okay, let's go on. David George, who is at my first Mass and served my first Mass so many years ago, 32 years ago. He's listening with his boys 9 and 12. Good job. Now, since your father was in seminary and he left, we call them dirty, rotten quitters. It's one of you boys that got to sit there and take his place. So, just so you know. So, look at each other now and start pointing. Who's going to take dad's place since he didn't get ordained? Which one of you two are going to be ordained? It'll be the greatest thing because you can then hear your father's confession after you get ordained. Now, that might take a couple days but good it'll be a great way you can give him a penance for all the times he punished you you can make him say like 10 rosaries on broken glass outside in the rain it could be a great great way for you to get back to him so uh, i'm glad you're watching us uh, watching me today and uh we're praying for you and thanks for uh being here okay it's biblical animals go to heaven there you go, Jade. Thank you very much. I agree with you. Hi, Father. What's your opinion about killing nuisance animals like toads, spiders, insects, and take up residence in your garage? Is it sinful about insects in your house? Thank you. Uh, no, I don't think it's sinful. Uh, even though, like this morning, we have these humongous, humongous uh, centipedes, uh, house centipedes in, in Erie. And they get to be that. They have like them. I used to always kill them. There is a big one when I went to do my holy hour this morning at four o'clock uh, in the chapel. There is a big one there and I hate, I've done it before where I kill things right before I pray and I always feel guilty about that. So I put it in the wastebasket and put it outside. I couldn't kill the thing and um, I kill less and less as I get older. Um, but again, it would not be sinful for you to do that. As long as you're not doing it joyfully, you know, doing it like people that kill animals to get joy out of it. I think there's something wrong with them. I'm not against hunting. Of course not. That's the way we all eat. But people just to kill things just because they get joy from it. I think there's something wrong there. But to kill animals for food, please, of course, you know, that's what they're there for. And they give their life to feed others. To, so something to have life, by definition, something has to die, right? For us to be alive animals die uh, or if you I don't eat animals father well okay for you to be alive the potato has to die or the tomato has to die or the lettuce has to die something dies so that you can have life that's the way the world is but just to kill things just to kill them um, 
I can't, I can't do it less and less as I get older. But again, for you to kill a bug in your house, of course that's allowed, and of course it's not sinful. You do not have to go to confession. I killed a spider, you know, because sometimes, again, that spider can kill you. So if uh, you want to make sure they're not in your house and you can kill them in different ways, even like out at my house, which I may be selling, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I used to have the, uh, I used to have mice out there because I'm not out there that often. And so, and I was putting traps in and I, 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 I couldn't do it. I had to stop. I just couldn't see all these mice get killed. I know, don't even start with me. I know. So anyway, but no, to answer your question, no, it's not sinful. Okay. Louise, I was told my priest when my dog died, he said, let me put it this way. Everything God has created goes back to God. Great, because I have three golden goldens waiting for me there you go i like the priest's answer another answer i've always liked is that uh, uh if, if heaven's if, if heaven is everything you want and you love your dogs they're going to be there i have a bunch of dogs uh that i have taken care of especially in my adult age i had them when i was kids but the dogs i've had now the problem is they're rottweilers is what i love but the almost well every single one of them now has died of bone cancer every single one of them and uh, so this one, usually they're 11 or so when they go. And, you know, Mac, uh, he's the greatest dog. And, you know, he'll be uh, next Friday, he'll be eight if he makes it to next Friday, which is just too young, you know. So uh, I hate the whole thoughts of it. But anyway, um, this is life. And we take life as it comes. That's all we can do. Okay, Julia. What is the loving response I can give to someone who supports radical Catholics that willfully spread divisive stories and misinformation? I find it stressful stressful to hear about satanic infiltration. You should find it uh, stressful. I find it very stressful. In fact, earlier today I was sitting here thinking, uh, in some ways I want to retire because the... The church I was ordained for, like when, when I was young, we'd fight about, uh, you know, women ordination or married clergy or all kinds of other stuff. And that, that type of stuff we don't argue about anymore. But at least it was easy for us to dismiss people, which was wrong, but anyway, we did it. Um, nowadays, the ones who call themselves most Catholic uh, sometimes can be the most hate-filled persons. And I always say, now you got to listen to me. God can never work through sin. And detraction, which is an unkind truth, can be mortally sinful, especially because people are doing these things to destroy the reputations of people or the Pope or other ones. You can argue about teaching without saying someone's satanic. When you jump to someone satanic, that becomes really either, it's, it's a lie because you don't know that. And when you're doing that, you are spreading deep, deep division into the body of Christ. And the problem is, is they call themselves holier. And I just think as I get older, and I have prayed more, and again, I pray every day. And so uh, a lot of these times, the people that are uh, doing the most screaming are doing the least amount of praying. 
and I have found in my experience, you might have a different experience. I'm just saying in my experience, um, because once you come to know the love of God or listen, did you read, did you, did you hear the readings today? Those of you who go to daily mass, I mean, just think about this. So this is what God tells us. So the readings today, I just thought everybody should read these every day in the Catholic church. And this would be so helpful because the first one was Colossians. And if you just spend some time with the book of Colossians, because this is what God's wanting us to do. So he says here, Brothers and sisters, put on as God's chosen ones. So what are we supposed to do as disciples and chosen ones of God? We are holy and beloved. So we're loved and we're set apart for God. Be compassionate, heartfelt compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Can you hear that? Forgiving one another. If one has a grievance against another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these, put on love. That is the bond of perfection. So we're all called to this perfection, and perfection is found in love. This is the word of God. This isn't Father Larry. This isn't some liberal. This is God. We got to listen to his word. Now, people might pull something from the Old Testament. Let's focus on the New Testament when they have now the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Then he goes, and let the peace of Christ control your hearts. So what should be controlling me? Anger, judgment, putting people down, they're satanic, or should peace control my heart? According to the word of God, peace should be controlling my heart the peace that I have been called to in the body of Christ. And then he says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as in wisdom you teach and admonish one another. Even we admonish one another, we do it with humility. We do it with peace. We do it with their good in mind, not to show that we're right. And so then we can go on, but then the gospel, oh my gosh, should you listen to the gospel today? He says, to you who hear me, this is Jesus Christ, to you who hear me. I say, love your enemies. And to mean to love them means you're going to die for them. Do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those you expect a repayment, what credit is that of yours? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But again, this is what Jesus, the founder of our faith, the God will stand before in judgment. This is what Jesus tells us. And I don't live this well. I'm not saying I do, but I'm saying this is what Jesus says. And this is how I'm going to be judged and you're going to be judged. So I got to really make sure that I'm listening. But rather, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend without expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful. Mercy is giving something uh, undeserved to someone, something good to someone who doesn't deserve it. Stop judging is what Jesus says, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning. They're satanic. We're having a satanic infiltration. Stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. 
Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and the gifts will be given back to you. Good measure, packed together, shaken down and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure, we measure back to you. So again, as I tell, I just say to people, may God Almighty judge you now the way you judge these other people. Period. <gasps> we must judge. And this morning when I preached, I didn't have the mass, so I had to preach on the pod bean. I just said, let's give it an hour. I don't know if I said an hour, but very fast, and someone's going to come on here and say, we must judge. I don't think it was 20 minutes before someone said, we must judge. Yes, we must judge actions. of. You know, you think I'm stupid. I know how we're called to judge. But Jesus says to us, judge not lest you be judged. We need to judge actions. We have to say, you know, killing babies is wrong. But we can't judge people. We can't say they're satanic. Please. This infiltration, I don't believe in any way, shape, or God is, is from God. Because God calls us to be unity in the body. We're going to be separated from the world, of course. People will hate us, of course. But that's not supposed to be people of the body of Christ because the body can't hate itself. The world should hate us because we're sticking up against abortion. We're sticking up against hatred. You know, the same people that we push that need to be pro-life and we have to save every baby, the same ones we need to be praying for and helping out people who are refugees and people uh, who have no one to care for them. To love our enemies. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's a command from Jesus. To not judge, that's not an option, that's not a command, that's not a suggestion, that's a command from Jesus. To not condemn, that's not an option, that's not a suggestion, that's a command of Jesus. When are we going to start listening to Jesus? When are we going to let his word form our hearts and our lives? When are we going to stop this stupidity in the church that's dividing us? It's not of God. We need to let God and listen to his word. If you don't agree with me, you spend time asking Jesus about the readings I just read to you today. You sit there and let them enter into you. And again, if you're seeking truth, that means you have to look into all sides. All sides you must be open to. You got to listen to what does Jesus say. And again, these people are doing this. I can't make a judgment. I can make a general judgment. I can't make a specific judgment. But a general judgment is they're not of God. I just, I think they've been deceived. Uh, and the, they're bringing great division and they'll stand before God on judgment day. And be judged on the division they've brought to the church. And the division isn't coming from the Pope. He's the sign of unity. And what he says should unite us. So when it divides us, he's not the problem. Just to let you know. Okay? So, again, uh, I, I'm with you. That's all I can say. I am with you. I get extremely stress-filled with all this. Okay. Priest in my parish has the deacons doing the homilies about 50% of the time. Thoughts? It depends <laughs> how good the homilies are of the deacons. The deacons are allowed to preach. That's part of their thing. But they have to be good preachers and they have to be orthodox preachers. That's the whole thing. Sometimes, if you notice that some priests aren't good preachers? So I don't know. You know, if they're doing it out of laziness, shame on them. But if they're doing it because they have a good sense that they're not a good preacher and maybe the deacon's a better preacher, well, that would be good. Um, 
So again, you don't know, but it's the job of the priest primarily. I'm the only one that preaches at my parish. I have two deacons, and we let them preach sometimes, but I am, the, and uh, the other priest who's with me, he lets them preach more, but I got to make sure that as the pastor, I am preaching. Uh, that's my job, first of all, you know, so I'm the pastor. That's my job. So again, there are other times, but uh, again, who knows? Okay, I, let's go on. When can we trace it? Where in the Bible can we trace the idea of offering up our suffering? My husband thinks it's something to make people feel better. St. Paul says, I fill up what is lacking. And again, you'll have to look this up in Google. I don't have time to do it now. But St. Paul says, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ through my suffering. Uh, so Paul says that about his own suffering and how uh, because Christ is united to us, we unite ourselves with Christ on the cross and we suffer. So it's called co-redemptive suffering. Uh, so no suffering is wasted if you join it with Jesus on the cross, okay? How come a priest can give you communion with his hands, but during handling the Eucharist, during adoration, they are robed in no human contact? It's to show that uh, it's Jesus giving the blessing now, not the priest. That's why we use the uh, uh, humeral veil when we're giving people blessings. It's to just make sure you know this blessing isn't a priestly blessing, but it's a... Uh, priest it's the blessing of jesus himself okay sure da, da, da. do you still have a same license plate yep my license plate david says you are good virtual confession is it allowed yet nope it's not afternoon all hi margaret father how do we respect our president with the policies he is pushing praying for him but it's so difficult that's exactly correct we need to pray for him we need to pray for his conversion but we need to still respect him uh but what he you know he's pro-choice so badly and to me that's the greatest evil on this earth but we still got to respect him and we still got to pray for his conversion uh god is still going to win uh, but we, you know, he's still the leader. The scriptures are the one that say respect. And that was when they talk about in the scripture, Peter especially talks about uh, respect the leaders. They were being killed by those leaders, by the emperor and different things. And he still said, respect them. Ugh. It's very, very, very hard. Respecting someone does not okay what they do <coughs> in any way, shape or form. We've got to speak against the evil in the world. We do. And that's, uh, again, Big difference between speaking against the evil in the world. And if there's evil in the church, we speak against it. But the evil in the church is so much more than, you know, God says, uh, love people, hate things. And too many people in the church love things and hate people. We have to speak against that. But nobody wants to do that. You know, we don't even want to speak. Everybody tell us how good we are. Okay, you're right. Pray for Mac. Thank you. Hello, Father Larry. How would you advise my son to start inviting her girlfriend to Mass? His girlfriend to Mass. He just went last week with her to Mass in the Coptic Orthodox Christian Church. Again, if he's a leader, he just says, you know, I love when you're at Mass with me that we can share Jesus with each other. Because everybody's looking for intimacy, and there's no greater intimacy than spiritual intimacy. So that's where we need to start. Okay. Nice new glasses. Oh, thanks. Last question. He told me he refrained from the bread, and I said, I said, that's respectful, but what's the teaching on that? Thank you, Father. It depends if he's in sin. If he's in sin, then he can't receive communion. So again, it's not just the bread. It's Almighty God. That's the biggest thing. It's not just bread. And the only way to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is if you're in a state of grace. If you're not in a state of grace, it's a sacrilege. So they shouldn't do that if they're sinning. 
Okay, I got to go. Uh, so pray for me. I'll be praying for you. Next week, I'm going to be, like I said, in St. Patrick's. So I'll just do this on my phone on St. Patrick's, uh, from St. Patrick's, God willing, next Thursday in the afternoon. So we won't have all this stuff. It's just going to be a very simple thing next week at three o'clock. Okay, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He was Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for being with me. God bless you and God bless your week. Amen.